What is going on, everyone? Welcome to this week's Pardon the Disruption, where we are already up to some shenanigans, and this is guarantees to be a great show. I'm your host, Matthew Potter. I'm the short sale guy, hedge fund connection, and I'm also co-founder of uh, the family tree over at Real Broker. If I can assist you in any way, go ahead and reach out to me. I'm going to go ahead and start us off with how we do things around here so that everybody knows, and then introduce our panelists. We have six questions, 45 seconds for each one of our panelists to answer, two minutes to chop it up afterwards, and they will be awarded points. Five of those questions are pre-selected. The sixth comes from our audience, so chime in on YouTube, get, get in the chat, start talking. You can also text us at 33777-QUESTION, and your question can be featured on our show. We're going to start off with our first panelist today, Leon, under no circumstance forget the G, Barnes. Start us off. What's up, everyone? Leon G. Barnes with The Collective Genius. Uh, if there were points given for pregame, I'm pretty sure I would already be up at least 3 nothing at this point. So we had a great pregame. I'm excited for the actual game. Let's get it going, fellas. Absolutely. You know what? We may even run it up ju just for the fun of it. We'll get a little wild today. Next up. Texas's number one advocate for affordable housing. We have RJ Bates III. Introduce yourself. <laughs> Holy shit, it started out already. All right. That next up. Steve Trang, go ahead and introduce yourself, boss. Uh, Steve Trang, real estate disruptors. Uh, anything, almost anything in real estate we're involved in, except for property management. Uh, and I want to have no association with Brian. He showed up unannounced. So he's a fourth panelist. But if he says anything offensive, I don't know the guy. Um, incorrect. I did hear him ring the doorbell. And there were pleasantries that were uh, exchanged between you and Mr. Manley. Last but certainly not least, 22 markets, 78 cities. That was just his first year. Just joking. Uh, we, have we have Brian Manley. Introduce yourself to our, uh, our audience. Dude, so look, Leon's up 3 nothing because they're tugging on my jersey. I didn't know we got 45 seconds. So I'm going to rules when I walk in. So uh, you guys are up a little bit, but that's okay. We're going to claw and scratch get back. And I only rang the bell because I was delivering donuts. So with that being said, I'm ready to go today. Uh, I do uh, companies are cubicle mutiny and property cartwheel and a bunch of other little uh, imprints. So I'm ready to get it in today, guys. Awesome. Awesome. We're glad that you're here and in the actual office. It's, it's impressive. We're, we're working towards that live PTD. We're going to get that going. Definitely. All right. We're going to start. We're going to start off with our first question. It is, what is the most unique partnership or investment opportunity that you've rejected? Start us off, Leon. As you can imagine, with a community of 300 plus members, <clears throat> I hear of a lot of unique opportunities and I often see whether that's um, real estate, um, spirits, <laughs> you name it. I've seen them come across uh, the board. Uh, but for me, uh, you know, for, for me, being in uh, the single family business, going to a property to meet with a seller, probably the most unique proposition or partnership or opportunity was actually the seller selling me back. Like I wanted to buy the property, but that individual wanted to sell me some land that their family had been buried on for generations. Um, and as you can imagine, um, it was pretty spooky, pretty scary, but I respect his game that he was following up every single week with me to buy not only his house, but all of the burial ground <laughs> and the unique opportunity that came with partnering with him or buying out his burial ground where his family had been buried for generations. Pretty spooky. That's, per that's pretty crazy. All right, RJ, what about you? Check, check. Am I, uh, am I still being censored like I was during my intro there? Hopefully I have audio. Um, the most unique investment opportunity that we've ever had was is Cassie. I actually looked at buying three donut shops. Um, and, and what was unique about it was, is, uh, the play was a 
heavy on the real estate side of things because we knew that there was some multifamily uh, development going on across the street. And that was going to increase the property value. The reason why we ended up, and it was good because this is in my cooking monster mode uh, where I was just buying everything. So if I had gotten all of the due diligence, I probably would have bought it. Uh, but I could not get the financials from the owners. And that's what inevitably led to us not buying it. But that was probably the most u- unique investment opportunity we've had. We're all very grateful that you do not own multiple donut shops. I'm just letting you know that. All right, Steve, what about you? Which uh, unique partnership have you passed on? Uh, so OfferPad, uh, right before they became public, uh, was actively recruiting me to be a, a head of their national uh, dispositions. And so, you know, part of that would be, it would have involved me flying from market to market to market, right? Working with them. I think at that point, there were only eight states, far less than what Brian's doing. Um, but in negotiations, I was like, I am not shutting everything down for less than 3% of the company. And this counter offer was quite a bit less than that. So we were too far apart in negotiations, but I would say, you know, had a chance to be a, a, a partner, tiny part, tiny, tiny partner, but a tiny partner inside of a offer pad. Very nice. Very nice. We're all glad that you didn't do that or else we probably wouldn't be here having PTD today. There, were no, there would be no PTD. PTD brought to you by OfferPad. <laughs> all right, Brian, what about you, man? So unique, man. I'll tell you, uh, I, I got uh, a house I was going to buy was a brothel and they wanted to keep it open uh, once we bought it. And my guy actually went and sat down with them and they offered them all kinds of uh The crispy internet's gone. Treats, poke on the table. But the most unique one. Oh, it probably. Well, no. So we declined that one. It just left it alone. That's probably the most unique one. Is the brothel. Uh, we messed. We messed. Missed the best maybe, part of that story. Yeah, but that's. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, we, our imaginations <laughs> ran. I mean, there were offers being made at a brothel. I think. We <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my guy literally showed up and sat down at the, at the kitchen table, and there's coke on the table. Literally coke. Cokey drink and beer kind of Coke. They were all the doors were shut. And we we're like, he's like, yeah, you can't go back there to any of those. And we're like, ah, why not? And then it was kind of clean. Somebody walks out and we go, oh, so yeah, it was, it was, we thought that was probably there'd be a lot of exposure in that. Yeah. <laughs> Sales up. are being made behind the scenes. <laughs> there were. <laughs> if you've ever needed a way to overcome the objection of offer pad made an offer on my house, you can let them know that they hired their second choice behind Steve Train. That's how bad <laughs> offer pads. <laughs> well said. Well Thank said. you. Thank you, RJ. Giving me high accolades. Giving me high accolades. I appreciate that. Where was this? Uh, where was this brothel, Brian? It was in Fayetteville, North Carolina. Very interesting. I'd love to. This is one of those where the chat would be great to hear from the audience uh, their most unique opportunities that they've passed on because that's a that's a really good one right there. I've heard stories of brothels. Um, uh, I've never gone on one of those seller appointments myself, but I've heard stories of them. Those that sound like a, a fun party house, my friend. Yeah. No comment. I have a friend of mine. He bought a, a massage parlor, right? And he's like, "Did what I tell you the time I accidentally, I accidentally became a pimp?" I was like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, you know, I bought a massage parlor, and turns out it wasn't a massage parlor." It's like, okay, I, I might know the same guy, Steve. I, <laughs> I had a buyer say that to me once before. Um, Leon, on your point, um, I actually had a seller dispo a property for me once. So seller signed a contract with me and he was like, Hey man, this guy came up and he offered me $10,000 more than what you're buying. You want his phone number? You want to just turn around and sell it to him? I'm like, yes. (laughs) And I assigned the deal to him. I was like, you're the coolest seller of all time. Hey Leon, what what was the upside play in this guy's mind on your deal? Well, his, his play was, I mean, he took me out to the, 
to that area, um, his play was that I could, you know, he wanted me to sell all the other plots, right? Now his family, it's only his family and their generation after generation after generation. I'm talking a hundred years worth of his family that was in this burial, uh, these burial plots. And so he wanted me to buy it up front. And then the opportunity for me was to sell the lots on the back end. But as I said to him, I'm not in the business of, of burial grounds. That's <laughs> just not, I, I'm laser, you know me, Steve, I'm a laser focused investor. And that just didn't fit the profile. Yeah, real estate's real estate. <laughs> dirt, literally we're, dirt. We're, <laughs> we're gonna pass on that one, Steve. All right, that round, just because of the absolutely brutal attack on Steve with the offer pad comment. We're going to throw that one up to RJ. I will say though, Brian, like I'm really kind of sad that it cut out during, you know, your <clears throat> discussion about the brothel. So, all right, RJ, RJ gets that round. We're going to go ahead and go on to the next one, but real quick before we do, we wanted to let you guys know as well. We are streaming. Pardon the disruption has grown up. We have our own YouTube cha uh, channel now. So go ahead and go over to pardon the disruption and you can go ahead and start following us there. Get interactive in the chat. We are super excited about all of the uh, momentum that we got going on over here, mainly because Brian's here today. That would be the number one reason why. Um, uh, absolutely. All right. Next up, we have, how do you feel about renting out by the room companies right now? Mm, pad splits, probably the biggest example of this. Start us off, RJ. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of feelings about it, to be honest with you, because it's to Leon's point, I'm laser focused on what I'm doing. Uh, I guess if I have to dig deeper into it, I feel like there's probably going to be regulations that come down on it, uh, just like we're seeing in the Airbnb world. Um, in the short-term rentals, I, I think it's probably going to get abused um, by investors early on, and then that's going to ruin the play for a lot of people. Uh, but it's not something that interests me. Um, I do think that it will be a shiny object for some newer investors on something that they think they could come in and maximize cash flow, and then later on potentially be extremely hurt when those regulations come down. Deep insights out of Texas today. I like it. All right, Steve, what about you? What are your thoughts on uh, rent by the room? Uh, it's an interesting concept. Uh, I mean, if you look back to how Airbnb started, that's what they did, right? They rented out by rooms, short term, but they rented out by rooms. Uh, you know, this is a solution for affordable housing, RJ's favorite topic. Um, and I think this has uh, some potential. I think the biggest thing for us in Phoenix uh, it's hard to find cash flowing properties in the Phoenix market. But once you change the math to $900 per room, you're renting it out to an entity for $900 a room. The math changes pretty quickly. So it'll be interesting to see how this affects real estate values uh, once the underwriting affects uh, the, the prices, right? The reason why housing went up so fast with the hedge funds is their underwriting was completely different than every everyone else's underwriting. Well, I think the underwriting changes again with the, with the pad split model. Additional good insight. Uh-oh. RJ, RJ being next to Steve on the screen must be rubbing off over here. Yeah, forget RJ. <laughs> All right, Brian, what are your thoughts on uh, rent a room, Mr. Uh, almost a brothel owner? Yeah, and if I, if I really said what I want to say and ran with that joke of rubbing off, but I'm not. Um, <laughs> you're you're like good too around here. I you're like good. <laughs> so, so, but I'm not going to. They are kind of close. Uh, Mass a blessing, right? So, so the aggravate. First of all, how I feel about them is blessing, right? Like I think they they fit up. They fill a need, right? As, as housing gets more and more expensive, and wages don't keep up with it, so they they fill an important need. But for me, I think it'd be brain damage. I couldn't even imagine being involved with this. I just had an eviction on Tuesday that it was four grown men living in a house um, and they all hated each other. And, you know, he did this, he did that. I couldn't imagine like what that does to just managing, right? So how do you know who damaged what? How do you recoup anything? Somebody who rents a room probably didn't have a whole lot of cash. Um, what if they don't get along? The eviction, you want to think about how much an eviction would cost to get one person out. It costs the same as if you're evicting a whole house only you're only recouping a fourth of the value if it's a four bedroom house or a third of the value. So your cost for, for eviction is pretty high. If somebody, you know, not to mention that one person can poison the well, 
It would make everybody leave, right? And if they don't go, they push it right up to the line and don't quite get evicted, but everybody else decides they can't live with them. I can just imagine the nightmare in the property management of four different people or five different people in one house. Um, I get a nightmare. I would, there's only a couple of people I don't like enough to say, I, I put you in. This is precisely why Steve does everything except for property management. He doesn't want to deal with that shit. All right. Next up, Leon, what are your thoughts? Love it. Love the opportunity that it presents investors. I love new technology that is always thinking outside the box of how can we potentially monetize additional leads that we get to like RJ and I have both said on this show so far is like we, we're laser focuses. So it's probably not something that I'm going to do anytime soon. But I know that there are investors in cities that can't get cap rates like I can in Kansas or RJ can in Texas or or Jimmy can get in St. Louis. This is a great opportunity and great technology. I've had the pleasure of talking to the owner uh, of PadSplit. And to Brian's point, uh, that is their biggest issue, obviously. But this isn't new necessarily. It's new technology of how to go about as an owner splitting rooms. But this is things like I have a, a, a brother that's uh, a recovering addict and he's in a home with other grown adults, right? This is technology. This has been around for hundreds of years of adults sharing space. So it's taking that concept on a, like a halfway house and creating, you know, a business model out of it using technology. So I'm always for new technology that can help real estate investors continue to evolve their business. So I have a little bit of uh, a different opinion about that because of my experience in Hawaii, where it is common for you to rent out part of your house to another family so you can afford the, right. the real estate. And, and that's where I see like they had to come down with heavy regulations because of that and essentially say we're outlawing that in certain parts or this is what you have to do to do that. And to Steve's point, what is this going to do to the values? So we're sitting here and we're talking about affordable housing, but then we're saying if we do this, this increases the value. So we're making it even more difficult to be a homeowner. That's where I think there has to be some, and, and listen, you guys know this, I'm the last one that wants any sort of regulation, but it feels right. like there has to be a cap here or we're going to hurt the people we're trying to help even, even more. I think another well, thing too is um, another thing too is when you know back in the realtor days, you know we have certain homeowners. I want to live in the HOA area, and other other homeowners buyers like I absolutely refuse to live in a in an HOA neighborhood. Pass split, Airbnbs, group homes, all these things make actually HOA neighborhoods more desirable. Yep. it's true. Uh, I think there's a need for it, um, especially as the kids are leaving the household later and later and later and don't necessarily want to buy. And in certain cities, like we've talked about on the show before, like San Francisco, hell, even Tampa, where I live, the, the rents are just continuing to increase to a point, uh, RJ's point of Hawaii. When I lived there, I used to always ask how the surfer bums were able to actually afford. They afforded because they were renting like a couch. <laughs> so there's a need for it. And I do think you're right. I do think there will be regulations that will come uh, as it continues to grow. But Steve, we've talked about this many a times, man. I, I love how creative people can be. And I'm a little bit jealous that I didn't think of it myself, quite frankly. That's always how I feel whenever I hear these great ideas. Like, man, why didn't we <laughs> think of that? Yeah. Someday, Steve, will have a good idea. We look One forward day. to that day. One day. I will say this, though. Steve absolutely came with it that round. So we are going to go ahead and get my man over there in his medium shirt a point this go around. <laughs> yep. We're, we're going we're to pick on Steve a little bit today. It's good. He, Thank you. He's, Thank you. he's ready for it. He's ready for it. All right. Next up, guys. Question number three. Is it fair for successful entrepreneurs to accumulate massive wealth while many employees struggle to make ends meet. I have a feeling this one's going to be a good one. Start us off, Steve. Um, I, I would say it's a resounding yes. Uh, and only because if you look at how many fail, right? Like there's so many that try to make it into entrepreneurship who try to become a business owner and they just get crushed. 
um, the I think the things we're looking about is how much they make, but we always forget about how much they lose. We forget about the risk, the the sacrifices that they make. Uh, Brian, I think it was his post that said, you know, in 20 years from now, the only people that will remember how hard you work are your kids. Like that one hit, right? Like you're sacrificing time with your wife, your kids. Uh, you hear about divorces all the time. Uh, you know, we have a, a friend, um, Glenn in Collective Genius, talked about how his daughter moved out. She wasn't even 18 yet. She decided to just move out because, like, she just didn't feel it there. So you talk about the risk. You talk about the high rate of failure. I think 80 90% or more failure rate where they lose everything. I would say absolutely it's fair for them to have the accolades when they do well. Okay. All right. I definitely see the point there. What are you, what are your thoughts, Brian? So I don't like the word fair, right? I think it's a loaded, it's a really, really loaded word, really, really subjective. And so my thoughts on that are, you know, typically when people say they started from zero and from nothing, they're looking at it backwards from the lens of where they are now and their idea of nothing probably isn't on par with a lot of other people's nothing, right? There's really, really high failure rate. But I think one of the things, I think it's, I think it's fair to Steve's point, you know, when you consider the sacrifices involved, but I don't think it's really good business. Um, so those are, those are probably two different arguments. But I do, I do think when you consider what goes into it, the, the, I think the skew on this is that because you had an 80 to 90% failure rate on people who've tried it, think about how many people have never tried it and their outlook on what it is that's happening with the successful entrepreneur. They don't have an idea of it, right? So fair, depending on who you ask, absolutely not but if you're in the behind the scenes sure because you understand you have to eat shit a lot in order to get where you want to get so um i think fair like i said i don't really love the word but i think when you go out and you earn it i think you deserve what you earn and we all have our own distinct advantages advantages um but yeah i have to i have to go with yeah i think it's fair all right two votes for fair all right leon what are your thoughts so I've actually sat on, sat on both sides of this argument. Um, and so I have a two-part answer. The first part as an entrepreneur is absolutely, it is fair. You take all the risk, you should reap the rewards. The second part of this is from the W-2 perspective. I could bitch and moan and say that it's not fair for my owner to make you know more money than me or have more wealth than me. I can bitch about it and moan about it and say it's not fair or I can do something about it. We talked about this last week as this is the greatest country in the world when it comes to making your own path. You have the opportunity to get up and go choose a different opportunity that you feel is more fair for you in which you should to do that. Or do like a lot of successful employees, myself included, and say, you know what, I can make my own opportunities in this country and start my own company. If I want that to be fair for me, I can go start my own company. So I've been on both sides of this. And if it's not fair, go make it fair. Well thought out as always, Leon, we appreciate it. All right, RJ, with, uh, with your anger in the chat, go ahead and uh, tell us your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely fair. You have a choice. You're not forced to work for that person. I I worked for Pizza Hut. They told me I was an overglorified shift manager. I said, fuck off. And I started my own company. Look at that. It's so fair. <laughs> <laughs> now I call the shots. I mean, you have a choice to do what you want to do. I mean, if you want to sit there and complain that you're making what the entrepreneur told you you were going to make if you do X job, uh, then that's just you complaining about your decision that you made. It shouldn't be about how much money that person's making. Um, so I'm I'm pretty, uh, pretty one-sided on this because to Leon's point, I've been on both sides and I was the one that complained about it and I didn't like the, the way that it made me feel. So I went out and I changed my reality. And so, yeah, I absolutely deserve to make whatever wealth I create for myself. So I didn't have enough time to get this third piece of it in. So I wanted to save this for the last. But I think that this is very important for the entrepreneur that is raking, quote unquote, raking in the dough and living in the ivory tower. It's very important. Steve, you've seen these presentations at CG where 
the best entrepreneurs, the highest and best investors in our community, they take care of their star employees, meaning that they either have, um, you know, opportunities for them to create wealth through an employee program beyond just a 401k, allowing them to buy properties, invest in properties. They're not owners. They just give them the opportunity to, to, to live the same type of dream, maybe not make as much wealth, but have an opportunity to still invest and feel like an entrepreneur within that business. It's very important that if you have key level, executive level employees that you look at, how can I make this more fair for them to keep them long term? Yeah, I think the other thing, too, is we're uh, typically I think when the question comes along is it's just only about financial compensation, right? Like just wages. But like, you know, we're intentional. We want to create pathways for wealth. You know, one of the great things for all of us here is we, we are in real estate. So uh, I'm hearing these guys talking about uh, buying rental properties, right? Like it's so I feel like a proud father, you know, and that might sound ridiculous. But when these guys are talking about buying properties, like I get so freaking excited right? because right? they're talking about creating wealth. They're not talking about, you know, going clubbing, right? They're not talking about going and doing these other things. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but they're having different conversations uh, because of the environment that, you know, we're all in. I think that's like the coolest thing to see as a business owner. So yeah. I'll, I'll go ahead. All right. Okay. So I was going to say one of those things I've said this yesterday, I've, I've got, I think, take care of you folks is that was from the beginning. I think being on both sides of it, knowing what I hated about, you know, working for people, what was, I mean, it was a great experience for me because I was able to take all the things that I absolutely hated. And so we're going to try to get rid of many of these as we like. I've got a guy right now on my team. I'm shaming him. So I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you, looking in the camera, shame him and they're starting to buy some, uh, some uh, investment properties because we sell them at a discount inside once you've been with us for a certain amount of time. So we'll walk you through the entire process. It's one of those things like you see, I want to see that. I want to see that success. In fact, at this point, that's way more rewarding to me than what I would make, right? It's to see that growth and then to build strong alliances with folks and help people change their outlooks. But what I want to take back, go back to the word fair, and I'm only saying that there are the opportunities there, but where, where I get hung up a little bit is your exposure before you're able to start. Fair is a hard word to apply to this because not everybody has the same environmental cues that'll trigger them to start looking for things. I remember being really, really frustrated. Nobody around me was doing anything. And this is, you know, I didn't know where to look, right? Now you've got the internet that's, you know, it's probably everybody's got it. But I just think you can be in a situation where you don't know what opportunities is out there. And fair is if you grow up in a space where you're seeing that a lot and someone else isn't, that's my only pushback or the word fair is even knowing that there's more in how you start to get there. Last point, Potter, I'll be quick. That For me, I think this question is more focused on someone like the Elon Musk and the people like that that are at a whole nother level of wealth. I don't necessarily think it's directed towards us because for a lot of us at the level that we're at, we do want to see people that have helped build our companies to where they are succeed, <laughs> branch out on their own wings. So I think this is for the people that are worth <clears throat> you know, billions and billions and they have people yeah. working for minimum wage. To piggyback yeah. on that, the CEO of the bank, the financial institution that makes $20 million in bonuses, yet they have employees that can barely make ends meet. That makes more sense. Yeah. The yeah. CEO of Steve Trang Enterprises. Yeah, we, <laughs> you know, we, we understand. Um, that was a great point at the end, RJ. And even though for some god-awful reason you always try to bust my balls in the chat over here, I am going to give you the point based off of you coming back with that of you're trying to elevate everybody with the same tide. I do like that. I know everybody's on the on the same uh, team with that. Leon also had a great uh, answer as well. Real quick, before we go on to our next question, we do have a new sponsor today. I'm going to go ahead and read this real quick. This episode of Pardon the Disruption is brought to you by the Family Tree at Real Broker. Are you looking to make a change in your real estate business? Are you paying excessive or monthly fees that make you want to pull your hair out? Are you feeling unsupported? We've got the solution for you. If you're interested in more information about how you can be a part of the fastest growing brokerage in the country, check out therealfamilytree.com and schedule your collaboration call with us. We will help you grow your real estate business. All right, guys. Next up, fourth question. 
With Amazon Prime Day just passing, what is the biggest deal you've ever done? Start us off, RJ. Uh, before I answer this, I really just want the the audience to let me know the answer to this question. How many chickens would it take to kill a lion? That right there is a serious question. Um, I mean, I bought a golf course. I mean, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal. Uh, I, I don't really know how you could get bigger than buying a country club. Um, seller finance, uh, no money down. Actually, we got paid at closing for buying the country club. So that's, that's going to be the biggest deal that I've ever done. Um, outside of that, there was a, th- a thousand uh, day short sell that I've talked about a little bit. So that was a pretty big deal as well. But those are, those are going to be the biggest ones I've ever done. Imagine pulling up to your country club and RJ Bates is out there. Just like, welcome to my club. Like, dude, that's where it's at. I love it. All right, Steve, what about you? Uh, the biggest deal ever done was a situation where we had joint tenancy. Uh, one, it was, it was inherited by four siblings. The oldest sibling attacked the other three siblings with a Louisville slugger. So they really didn't like each other. And the three of them sold their shares in the property to us for $7,000 each. Uh, so we've got three quarters of a $160,000 house for $21,000. We forced a sale, paid him 40 K for his quarter, split the lot, sold the lot for hundred K and then sold the uh, house. Eventually it took so long that appreciation helped us so much. The $160,000 house became $260,000, $260,000. So we cleared like, I think just a little over 200 K on, on this deal because one brother attacked the other three siblings uh, with a Louisville slugger. I'm not even, that's just impressive. Uh, That's absolutely impressive. All right, Brian, what about you? So my biggest one is actually I'm working one now and it's kind of projected. Am I allowed to do that? It's just got an appraisal. It's a pretty good one, but I bought a small apartment. You're new. We'll let you. You'll let me. (laughs) New guy. It's fine. You guy. I don't know all the rules. At first, I didn't even know what the sounds were. Um, <laughs> I'm like, what is he doing? That's too cute. Uh, so we bought an apartment building for 185k. Uh, we just put 60 into it. Um, it just appraised at just under 700,000. So that's that's, nope. that's going to be the biggest one. Uh, so that's that's a current one right now. But so that's not realized gains. My biggest flip was about two. What's 220? Both of those are solid, though. Uh, not mad at that. I mean, you know, it's right up there with Stevie selling Randy Johnson's uh, siblings house or whatever with his lot <laughs> split over there. His pad split. Not a All right. Course. All right, Leon. What about you, man? I'm glad you saved me for last for two reasons. Number one, can anyone else see at RJ's uh, country club? Like in my mind's eye, I see ZZ Top hanging out yes. next, to, next to Kid Rock. Next to Ted Nugent, <laughs> maybe Ted Nugent hanging out in the corner, par three. I can possibly see that. That's number one. Number two, I, I appreciate going last because um, I, I am. I, I keep it real. Like I do not uh, swing for the fences at this phase of my business. I am super laser focused. Oh, I'm building a portfolio within my own business and building CG as a community. So uh, from the standpoint of me, and I, I think this is, a, is an answer that is good for some people to hear, like the biggest wins that I, that I get are fourplexes and maybe every once in a while, you know, a couple triplexes together. But generally for rule of thumb, I'm so laser focused on building a single uh, family portfolio and over the last three years, any portfolios that have come my way are overpriced. And so, again, I'm laser focused on hitting singles, maybe a double here every once in a while and building wealth long term. If you want to learn how to be a W-2 employee and build wealth, I'm your guy. If you want Sammy Sosa home runs with the Louisville Slugger over there and steroids like Steve Train, he's your guy for that. Let yeah. me uh, let me try Leon's answer again for him because his answer kind of sucked. What he should have <laughs> said was <laughs> the biggest deal that he's ever done is convince Jason Medley to be that high in CG that Leon is. And so that's the biggest deal he's ever closed right there. That, that is, you are correct. The biggest deal I've ever done uh, is CG for sure. Uh, before we uh, wrap up, you know, I just want to. Just quick shout out. I got uh, Nick Chapman. He's a mentee uh, of mine. Um, 
and he wholesaled a Taco Bell for 150 k. I didn't even know you could wholesale <laughs> <That's amazing>. businesses. <laughs> he the real estate or the franchise? It it was all included, but part, somehow he got he he sold he wholesaled the Taco Bell for 150 k. And um, and Potter is working on some sweet deal in Florida. You might you want to talk about that one? What which one is that? The Novation. Oh yeah, no. Uh, I'm working on a Novation. <laughs> I'm working on a Novation right now down in Florida, where we're in. We're contracted at one point one point four, and it's on the market. With um. We're probably going to go under contract at about 1.85 on that one. Nice. Yeah. I love how he sat there so quiet and chill where he's like, hmm, interesting. (laughs) 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 For a set. Well, no. So so here's the thing that's wild on that. For for that, I actually have another novation going on in Florida. And I was like, dude, what are you talking about? That one's only like 35K. That's not that big a deal. Like it, it is, but it isn't. So I've it took me a second. It took me a second. I don't know which one you speak of. Hey, I'm look, John McCain. Con- which I'm house are you talking country- about? I don't know which house you're talking about. I'm not quite country club level like RJ over there yet. I but you know, I'm trying to get there. A Taco Bell. My assignment fee is going to be free Mexican pizzas for life. Bro, that's what I was going to say. Did he work in like a clause? Like he gets, yeah. you know, cheesy bean burritos for for the next decade. No monetary you know exchange. You know how hard that has to be because each franchisee has to have a certain amount of net wealth to be able to do that. That's that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Clearly, yeah. he has another mentor on top of Steve. Only <laughs> <laughs> hey, say what I was thinking, RJ. <laughs> I wasn't how- involved in that transaction. He said that. To- I was like, man, that's awesome. So, yes, RJ, I'm not going to take credit for it. He did that of his own volition. It was just cool when he when he when he shared that with me, man. All right. That that was definitely a great round. Um, You know, I'm going to go ahead and give it up as much as it pains me to do this since he loves to talk some shit about me. RJ with the country club with ZZ Top coming in. It's I mean, socialism's out of control. No, 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 I don't, I don't, you know what, just for that, take, take Steve's point away, take it away, Manny. All he right, next up. He didn't take any points from him. <laughs> uh, next up, should there be limitations on foreign investors buying real estate in, cer- in certain markets to prevent housing affordability issues for locals? We worked that in for you, RJ. We, we know how much you love housing affordability. Start us off. I love how CJ's not here, but we keep talking about CJ. (laughs) (laughs) And also, going into the fifth question, this is the first time ever someone's pitched a shutout. This is amazing. So, uh, (laughs) I don't like this. Take away Steve's one point there. Uh, No, I don't think there should be limitations. Our country was founded on freedom, freedom of choices. Literally, People from other countries came over here and bought the real estate. That's how our country was founded. So no, um, if you don't want someone from another country to have a piece of real estate, then you can buy it yourself. Um, And that's how we can stop that. And I think that's what we all do as investors. Um, If we're worried about them coming in and buying too much of our real estate, then that's on us. That's not on them for capitalizing on the opportunity. All right. Next up, we have. Um, <laughs> I guess we're gonna we'll go, go ahead. Me. We're gonna go ahead. And go to Leon. It's a. It's a two. It's definitely a two horse race now. All right, Leon. Go yeah. ahead and uh, go ahead and um, give us the run, your rundown and your thoughts. Yeah, a little behind the scenes there. Uh, <laughs> you should have just pitched right to me after you have two anchors leave you. Pivot. Pivot. <laughs> uh, my answer is the exact same. No, no. Um, with one caveat. Uh, We did uh, a question on this probably two, three months ago in regards to um, foreign investors buying specific areas. And if there's a security issue uh, in North Dakota, I believe is the the uh, the answer that we talked about a few months ago where um, there was a security risk potential. Um, That's the only time I would say that no, um, that, you know, that we shouldn't allow but to RJ's point, I mean, this country is built on freedom. 
And, and what we're, we're not talking about is the other side. There are a ton of foreign investors that are helping American investors for return to build affordable housing or apartment buildings or commercial things in those cities that help path of progress in each, each of these cities that we're maybe worried about. So no, we should not limit. Awesome. Two things on that. Leon, as always, thank you for the insightful answer. And also thank you for being the first one to ever say to RJ's point on the show. We appreciate that. <laughs> this is very much appreciated. All right, Steve, what about you? What are your thoughts? Um, I'm having a hard time finding a good reason why we should uh, limit this. You know, I think, uh, unfortunately, to RJ's point, uh, this, country, <laughs> this country was founded on freedom. It was freedom of choice, freedom to invest, right? Pursuit um, uh, of happiness. If other countries see this as an avenue, I think there's a great, great thing for America. It's good that they're investing in us, that they believe in in our freedoms and, and, and what we're doing here. So uh, I've seen this happen a lot in uh, Canada, uh, Toronto, Vancouver, where you got a bunch of Chinese uh, foreign nationals buying a bunch of property there and is made, you know, Toronto unaffordable and their solution to that was to put a 10 percent surtax i think that's the word uh, on these on these transactions right so that they couldn't buy them they were still buying them um and i'm not sure how much that actually helps the homeowners the, for the, the affordability component people are going to invest here if they believe in if they believe in it so is brian just is his camera just dark or did Whoa, ah, there whoa, we go. whoa. Hey, like, whoa. word choice. Man. <laughs> Bro. <laughs> <What the> <laughs> <laughs> All right, Brian, what are your thoughts, man? Oh, you're on mute, Brian. You, Brian. Yeah, you're, you're on mute, bro. Still more insightful than Eric and CJ. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Is it the fourth? Is it the fourth person that we always have issues with? Is that how this works? We I remember uh, the days when Leon was the fourth person. Now he's officially graduated <laughs> to like second because Steve is definitely not second. Thank you. <laughs> Moving on up like George and Weezy. <laughs> All right. Hey, we got the sound. All right. You guys got me. Yeah, we got the Blair Witch Project going. Let's go. Damn it. Hold on. Let me put it in my regular camera. Hey, so they set me up. <laughs> they did. Coming in, they coming in with a victim mentality. <laughs> Let me go to my regular laptop. Thanks. All right. So Steve's group, they, they set me up. So uh, can you guys see me? Strong victim culture. I love it. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, oh, we don't have a cord for this. We don't have a plug for that. We don't have See, this is how you got me. I tell you on my jersey. It's initiation. Um. <laughs> All right, man. So I've got. I, do I think of that? I think if if your objective is for the greater good, and yes, you should limit it, right? And the only reason I say that is you look at something. First, an entrepreneur is always going to find a way find a way around rules that you put in place, right? But I can I look at some areas like in SoCal where it's just so impossibly hard to make ends meet. Uh, till RJ's point in Hawaii, right, where people have no vested interest in contributing to that community. There's a lot of tax bases sucked out. So I think. You have to start to kind of go down the road of regulation because you've got, in some instances, uh, endless supply of money getting poured into an area for return. And if the objective is a greater good of that community, then I think you have to do some limitations. You have to make the community. The, the first thing, if it's just, hey, raw capitalism, well, that extracts and consumes, right? And it doesn't really know an end. So when you consider the people portion of it, I think you have to. I think you have to put limitations in certain areas because you make it unaffordable to where you have entire towns that are just resort destinations, you know, vacation destination. So uh, you got to think about the erosion of your tax base for there and all the other goods that people aren't buying when they don't live in a place. So, uh, yeah, I think there should be some limitation. I think um, every time, though, we try to fix something, it makes it worse, right? Like you look at, mm -hmm. I think, uh, Washington, Oregon, uh, New York, where they put, uh, um, where they fix the rents. You can't raise the rents anymore. Yeah. Rent control, right? Yep. What yeah. happens every time they institute rent control? The investors stop investing in there. And then you've got uh, the lapidation, right? You got functional obsolescence. These things just kind of creep in because why would you invest in an area where you can't get a return? Capitalism, right? Money flows where money can come back. 
once you put limitations here, who's going to invest in that area? Well, there wasn't, should we limit investment? It was, should we limit foreign investment? Yes, correct. And foreign investment, we're looking at, if I'm investing in Sri Lanka right now, I'm so detached from the reality of what's happening in life in Sri Lanka. It's an afterthought. I mean, I'm like that with some places on the, some of my stuff on the other side of the country, right? So I think when you don't have a, a cultural attachment to it, uh, any emotional attachment to this place, the people that understand what's happening, you've never been there. I think it's really, really easy to look at deals as X's and O's, zeros and ones and go, okay, well, this is what we're doing. And you make dispassionate decisions about the area. Um, and that's just human nature. That's not saying foreign, foreign and bad because we're foreign investors, right? In some other places, right? So, but I think that that, no detach that detachment, sometimes I think you have to consider that. And to one more thing to Steve's point, when regulation gets involved in government, I think I have a real problem with people who aren't in the space regulating the space, right? So I think there should absolutely be some sort of uh, meeting of the minds with investors and people who understand the, knowing the community and not just politicians who have no idea how to run that business and then they're making these decrees. Well, and here's one thing that I always look back on when making decisions about limiting something. Um, sometimes what's, what gets in the way of a great story sometimes? Uh, facts, right? We've talked about this before. <laughs> the facts are that currently, right now, it says, should we limit now? No, why? Three months ago, we did this, this similar question to this, and the, the highest percentage of investors into the United States were not all the countries that people think they are. It's Canada. Canada yeah. was number one on the list of people that actually invest into the United States. Should we look at it and continue to monitor it in certain cities and certain areas? Of course. But don't let you know, these overreactions happen without the facts behind it. Looking at the question. Blame Canada. Canadians are dangerous. It does say housing affordability issues for locals in certain markets. And so I, I do think that there is something to be said about what Brian was talking about there, which is internally, uh, some of us as investors are always pressing the issues or the values, um, even as local foreigners, you know, I mean, like if sure. I'm in Texas and I'm buying a property in Portland, Oregon, and I'm pushing the value because I'm flipping it there and I'm wanting to push it to what was 700,000 to 750, is that more of an issue than someone from China or another country buying that? I, that's a unique point there, Brian. Last, real quick, last point here, Matt, because I've lived this. Living in Hawaii for three years, I can tell you that the word affordable doesn't come into play with the Chinese and the Japanese investor in Hawaii. You know why? Because they were investing in the condos, the apartments, the homes that were all luxury, all high level things, new buildings, new skyscrapers. They were investing in that. Obviously, it pushed values. Well, you're talking about, you know, one, two, three million dollars and up type of properties. They weren't coming in and buying just tons of land or tons of affordable homes and driving up prices. Beautiful, beautiful. It's good information. It, it really, it really honestly is. Um, in my true roundabout way, I'm going to go ahead and hit Leon and Brian with a point on that one. Everybody had great insight and great thoughts on that, though, including you, Steve. I, I will give you a little, <laughs> little, golf, little golf clap for Steve. For, for Steve -o. All well, right, RJ guys. Golf clap. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> that, that's what we get. Right. That's what we get at, you know, at, at Nugent's RJ Country Club. Country Club. <laughs> Country Club clap. That's what we're going to call him. Sponsored by Bud Light. Yeah. <laughs> RJ Bates par three. All right. Question number six. With many wholesale companies losing employees to tough economic conditions, what are you doing to recruit top talent for your company? Start us off, Leon. Always be recruiting. It's not a Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross line. It's it is what you should be doing in your company always, no matter if you have every employee sticking with you, every employee uh, working at a high level for you. If you're in the mindset of continual growth, 
it's what uh, a lot of high-level college uh, coaches, football and basketball, say the day that I don't recruit is the day that I get fired. So always, always, always be recruiting because top talent will take you to that next level. So, um, you know, when it comes to you can't control always who you're going to lose. Uh, you can't always control the market, but what you can control is your level of excitement as an organization towards finding the best and brightest for your organization. Always, always the well thought out, heartfelt answers coming from Leon. All right, RJ, how, how are you, uh, how are you going to go ahead and uh, recruit top talent for titanium? Oops. Yeah, I mean, there I you mean, go. <laughs> I look out the door here and I look at my team right now. And uh, realistically, what I've done is a new strategy where I actually recruit them before their brains have fully developed. Um, so I, I just got a bunch of young, dumb, stupid kids. And then I help develop their brains fully. And, and now they're just like my little children. Uh, and it's, it's a really good strategy, honestly. No one's going to talk about this. So really... <laughs> the, point, the, the bright and the smart ones, no, those are the ones that want to go out and quit and go do their own thing. You go get the young and dumb, stupid ones, and you just ain't to look like you. Hopefully they're not watching. They're all watching. They are, yeah. They absolutely are. Yes, I'm pretty sure I can see 32 middle fingers right now. <laughs> RJ bribes them with Mexican pizzas and Long John Silvers. Straight up. That's Hey, give that sauce. Give that man the W. He's <laughs> give it to him. Yep. Uh, all right, Steve. What about you? Uh, so we're intentional with recruiting. Uh, we're actually trying to hire people that are happy, uh, <laughs> that are successful, have a track record of success. So uh, something that we've started doing. This is a large part of what we talk about in the sales leadership training uh, that we do with Ren is we have ads out there constantly for people to apply for. But on top of that, uh, what we've uh, instituted recently is having all that information automatically go into a CRM. So we've got a database. Now we're building a bench. So not only are we, are we, are we always recruiting, but the one weakness we always had was we didn't have a great bench for whenever someone left. So now we've got a great bench and we're actively tracking our recruiting efforts just like our, our guys in the bullpen that are calling homeowners every day, our recruiter in-house is calling people every day, right? Recruiting, recruiting like a sales and marketing component within our organization. We're taking recruiting very seriously. So, you know, like, our, uh, like Leon said, uh, ABR, always be recruiting. Nice, nice. All right. I'm thinking more accredited buyer representation. I know that's old school, you know, there, Steve. It's the old, the old <laughs> no one's, hat. No one's, no one's taking realtors seriously today. Come on. It ain't that the truth. Um, all right, Brian, what about you? How are you uh, treating top talent? Uh, so, I mean, I, I think part, one of the things I'm trying to avoid right now is like building a cult of personality, right? I think one of the things we're doing right now is I'm letting people know exactly who we are, right? How we operate. And I'm looking for people who are in alignment with how, what's that? Uh, so looking for people who are in alignment with how we operate. So we don't have an office. Everybody's virtual. I've got an employee across town in Phoenix I've never met who's been with me two years, right? So it's what we're looking to do is everybody who comes on board here, we're, what we're offering them is particular lifestyle with upper mobility, the opportunity to invest for yourself at a discount, um, to be coached, to be mentored, things that pay me a lot of people, things that people pay a lot to learn. They get to learn that stuff for free. But it's just looking for people, like Steve said, is who are already happy and in a good space, who aren't coming in who are destitute who desperately need a job and we're looking at folks who are just looking for something that fits their life versus saying this hey this job we're trying to make it fit you we're looking for people that want what we're offering and that's the thing so we had a, we have a bench of a couple hundred folks from old indeed ads that we ran we run them every every so many months um to keep a bench in place but we haven't had a lot of turnover but in going for that one of the things we're looking for is just who fits? Who wants to be part of what we're doing? Who, who's already shown that they can do it? But it's more a cultural stick than anything because you can go out and make money. Everybody's hiring today. But what they can't get is, you know, one of our core values is like humor. Like it's literally one of our core values. Like fucking laugh and come to work, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
you know, and along with some of the more serious stuff. So if this is a place where you want to be, I think that's most attractive and people don't want to leave it. Yeah, I think, you, you know, the, the immediately if humor is part of your core values. Wait, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> I said you would fire Steve immediately if he worked for you. If that's one of your core values. Thank you, Steve's thank you, right. Leon. Appreciate that. You're uh, so I think I think uh, you know what Brian's talking about, though, right? Is like being a beacon. Uh, you're you're putting that that out there. I mean, one of the things that I remember Brian did this presentation. And I thought it was outlandish, right? But for a while, the first ten minutes of his level of his weekly meetings was talking about Game of Thrones. So like, if you weren't watching Game of Thrones. Don't jump on the call until nine ten. Like it's, yeah, it's crazy, right? <laughs> but he's got a culture where it's like, hey, from nine a.m. to nine ten, we're talking about Game of Thrones and only Game of Thrones. So I think you know, being a beacon, letting everyone know how you're running your company. Why, that's why I think social media is so big. Is yeah. to, in order to uh, recruit great talent, you gotta let everyone know what your culture is. Yeah, yeah. Dude, I think dude. also to add to that. Real quick to add to that from zero to one is not something that we talk about a lot in CG is how do we take something, a concept and actually put it into play for those out there that hear us say recruit, recruit, recruit. Well, what am I recruiting for? If you haven't done the org chart exercise that Sharper does or haven't sat down and say, what are all the seats that I'm currently sitting in? Or I have my two employees are sitting in 18 different seats there's your answer to what you should be recruiting for next because there's so many positions that you need on your team or will need on your team that by the time you get somebody in the funnel, that position is now ready for you to be able to hire. So I'd say the first part is always be recruiting and then also know what your next position, the next position that you know you have to have in order to grow. Yeah. And uh, just a real quick backstory here um so i was educated or enlightened about this situation uh, a couple of weeks back so um rj is walking into a long john silvers and he sees like a little version of himself i don't know if you want to share that story rj <laughs> this is I, we've got where's my popcorn <laughs> Is this called company culture? If you're not a part of titanium, then you can't hear the story. <laughs> you can, uh, you can uh, apply at RJ at titaniumprops.com, okay? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, you'll get extra tartar sauce and hush puppies every Tuesday over at titanium. They call it titanium Tuesdays. Yeah. RJ makes his employees. RJ literally makes his employees. <laughs> he does. <laughs> All right. That was great. I love everybody's answer on that round, but for the absolutely brutally hilarious answer, we do have to give that one to RJ. RJ did not pitch a shutout though. He did not, but it was an absolutely great run for Mr. Par three over there. Um, I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. We had a lot of fun. We hope that you guys did too. We hope that, you know, Brian enjoyed his, uh, you know, his first time on the show. We'll invite him back and maybe give him something better than a Logitech 360 from 1994 for a camera. <laughs> we're going to go ahead and head out. Funds are we're tight, say, dude. Funds are tight in this company. <laughs> we're going to, we're going to, oh, ABR, baby, ABR. All right. We're going to say, say goodbye. Go ahead and start off with our champion today, RJ Bates. Yeah. Awesome the third. show today, uh, Brian. It's fun having you on. Um, I'm heading out of here. I'm going to go uh, do my first ever judging for the Closers Olympics. So right after this, go over to my YouTube channel, watch Closers Olympics qualifiers number six. I am going to do my best Steve Trang impersonation today. I mean, it is, it's going to be a struggle for these kids to get some points today. I mean, I'm going to throw some shutouts in that. So uh, I'm going to have a lot of fun. Uh, head over there. You're going to see four really good closers close deals for about three hours. The Nolan Ryan of the closing Olympics over there. About to pitch some shutouts. All right, Steve, say bye to the people. Uh, great show as always. Uh, we're you know looking for new judges, so we're gonna go into that that bench we got and see if anyone's interested in judging. Uh, someone that's a little bit more qualified. They're not. Um, but uh, I mean, it was fun except for the judging. So great, great show, everyone. And Steve will be starting off with negative points next week. Congratulations, everybody! You're already winning. Brian, say bye to the people.
Hey guys, sorry. Thanks, thanks for having me, man. This is this was a lot of fun, man. Uh, Steve first called. He said, hey, "Are you in town?" I'm like, oh, "I wasn't gonna be. What do you want?" Kind of, kind of how this lurks. And I'm glad I stuck around, man. Uh, everybody, I'm make sure people come and watch this. You guys are like some expert shit talkers. Hats off. <laughs> Love it. I know playing ball with you would be a whole lot of fun. Uh, so I'm gonna be signing off here and heading my ass down to Mexico in a few minutes. Very nice. It's always nice to play ball with these guys. Unfortunately, RJ always shows up with a hockey puck, but, you know, it's still fun. It's all, right. all right, Leon, say bye to the people. Well, I feel like, as Jalen Rose would say, we gave the people what they wanted today. Great questions and great answers all around. Fun, fun show. Brian, great meeting you. Just a word of advice in the future. Uh, if you are going to be back on the show, just make sure you do not do that in Steve's office because somehow – the, the internet worked really, really well for him, but did not work really, really well for you today. So just from a rookie, to from a veteran <laughs> to a rookie, just don't do the show in his office next, uh, Budget next cuts. week or whenever Budget you're cuts. back on, Brian. Good meeting you. There's only, show, so, everyone. there's only so much you can do in a closet, Leon. There's only so much you can do in a closet. <laughs> wow. Jesus Christ. Gonna We're going to leave it there, guys. We're going to leave it there. I'm not going to touch that. We're, we're going to leave that one alone. I, I don't... <laughs> I don't want to know what's going on over there. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Uh, tune in every Thursday. Check us out. You can see us on YouTube, Instagram. As always, uh, we had a blast, and we will see you guys next week.